that access because of the precious blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who shed his perfect blood for us. Lord, we thank you for that gift of salvation that we have. Lord, our desire is, as we gather here tonight and we look at your word together, Lord, that we would embrace the truth that this is your living word preserved, protected, given to us. Lord, our desire is that you would do a work in us as we study your word tonight, that you would meet each one of us right where we are in the middle of, of a busy week, no doubt many of us facing obstacles during the week and trials, difficulties, and Lord, we're here to be refreshed by your word, Lord, that we would leave here tonight encouraged and strengthened, and Lord, knowing that we have met with you, we know that is your desire as well, so Lord, we pray that you would find it easy to, to speak to us, to minister to us, to sanctify us here tonight. Thank you for this place, Lord. Thank you for the, the ability that we still have to gather here freely and openly. Lord, where so many of our brothers and sisters around the world, perhaps even right now, many gathering in secret, fearing for, for their very lives, but Lord, trusting in you. So Lord, we ask that you would encourage them even now. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, good evening. Please be seated and take out your Bibles, please. We find ourselves tonight in the book of 2 Kings as we continue to study through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights. 2 Kings, we're in chapter 5 tonight. If you don't have a Bible, please grab one from under a seat in front of you. This is a, a Bible study, and we're going to use this tonight. We're going to Go around a little bit too, especially initially, because it's interesting as I started reading today and just praying and, and that some question is immediately right off the bat for me. I, I, I don't consider myself a news junkie by any stretch of the imagination. I check in every once in a while on the internet just to make sure that the, the you know the world's not completely falling apart. And uh, but it you don't have to be a news junkie to know that there's craziness going on in the world. That the top headlines almost every time that you pull up, no matter what news source you get your news from, that there's terrorist attacks, that people are being killed, and, and just, just craziness going on in the world. And we can easily because that's just our nature, we can look at that and say, man, th this, is, this is the worst that it's ever been. I mean, how could it get any worse than, than what we're facing right now? We need to understand that this isn't, this isn't a new cycle of things that's going on. And I, I'm drawn in, as we look at this, and, and we're going to look at the first half of verse 1 in chapter 5 and, and then pause for a moment. It says, we're going we're gonna to look at this a story of a man named Naaman as we continue to study the ministry of Elisha, the prophet, tonight. And we're introduced to this man, Naaman. It says he was the captain of the army of the king of Aram, an enemy of the, of the children of Israel. We saw as we studied in 1 Kings, and especially at the end of 1 Kings, the battles that were going on regularly between the northern tribes of Israel and Aram, this, this kingdom of Aram. And this man, Naaman, was the captain of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man with his master, highly respected, and notice what it says next, because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. Now, right off the bat, again, I, I have that underlined with it, and i questioning that right away. The Lord gave victory to Aram over the, the children of Israel? Isn't he the God of Israel? I mean, what, hang on a second here. What, what's, what's going on with that? And as I was pondering that and thinking through that, Guys, we need to understand that God uses whoever he wants for his purposes. We can look at the things around and say, man, things are completely out of control. But God is in control. And if you would, I'd, I'd like to just take a little pause here 
doesn't necessarily go with our study as we're going to see tonight, but just on this topic, if you'd turn with me to the book of Habakkuk, and for those of you who perhaps don't know where that is, go to Matthew, and then we're going to go back a few chapters, go back from Matthew, Malachi, Zechariah, Haggai, Zephaniah, and then Habakkuk. This is, um, I would encourage you, just as a little homework, we're going to just look at a little bit of it tonight, but to read it, it's just a couple chapters long, three chapters, and so full of so, much, so many great things, but particularly to the point that I want to make as we start off tonight, beginning in verse 1, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, and first of all, we're going to get the words of Habakkuk as he's crying out to the Lord, and he says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help, and you will not hear? I cry out to you violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contentions arise. Therefore, the law is ignored and justice is never upheld. For the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. Do you ever feel that way? Do you, I mean, honestly, do you ever feel as you're looking around, and, and even in our prayers sometimes we say, Lord, how long are you going to let this go on? Do you, are, are you even listening as we're praying? Are, the, all of this injustice that is going on everywhere, the laws are being perverted, people are doing whatever they want, and then especially, again, with all of this violence that's going on around the world. Listen to the Lord's response beginning in verse 5. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. <laughs> that's, something I, I, that's one of the things I have underlined in my Bible. <laughs> God's saying, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And he goes on, for behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans. You think ISIS is brutal? The Chaldeans were brutal. I am raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. They are dreaded and feared. Their justice and authority originate with themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards and keener than wolves in the evening. Their horsemen come galloping. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping down to devour. All of them come for violence. Their horde of faces moves forward. They collect captives like sand. They mock at kings and rulers are a laughing matter to them. They laugh at even fortresses and heap up rubble to capture it. Then they will sweep through like the wind and pass on. But notice it says, but they will be held guilty, they whose strength is their God. And again, I plug in ISIS for the Chaldeans. Isn't that like almost ripped from the headlines that we have? And I guess I want to say this, and we're going to circle back around to it a little bit again at the end. But while we look around and see the craziness that is going on, and we can possibly even get to that point in our, in our human nature that says, God, are, how do you allow this to happen? And I believe he would say to us even here tonight as we question that, he says, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, if you've been part of Calvary Chapel Surprise for a while, you know I love to quote that because it's so much the, the, what I fall back on where God says, your ways are not my ways, says the Lord, nor are your thoughts my thoughts. So as far as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts above your ways and your thoughts. And I don't know about you, but I read Habakkuk and I read Isaiah 55, and that gives me great comfort. I'm so glad to know that even though I don't understand why it's happening or what God is up to behind all of the scenes with everything's going on, the fact that he's in control brings me great comfort. If, he was, if, if it was out of his control, guys, we, would be, we should be in a panic. But he's in control. And like I said, we're going to circle back, Lord willing, time willing, at the end with something I hope that encourages you in this, but encourages you more. <laughs> Speaking now back of Naaman and back into our text here, this man, he was the captain of the army. 
It tells us that the Lord had given him the great victory, and that victory probably referring to back in 1 Kings chapter 22, that last battle that Ahab went up against, and then some even commentators in Jewish, ancient Jewish commentators, including Josephus, believed that Naaman was the one who fired the arrow up into the air that came down and hit Ahab and killed him. They believed that Naaman was that one. He returns in the victory, and he gets, he's respected. He's highly praised by the king for that. He's, he's got pretty much everything that, that you could want at that time. He's, he's the highest military leader. He's no doubt very wealthy and well taken care of. But notice what it says. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. He had leprosy. Regardless of all of the other things that he could point to that were successes in his life and the things that all the world chases after, he had one thing that was a very big thing. It was an incurable disease. Leprosy, for, as you probably know, was a disease that started out as little red splotches and then would grow to, to even start flaking skin off. But eventually, someone with leprosy would lose feeling in their extremities, their fingers, their, their hands, their feet. Deformity would start to take place, but even part, your nose deformed and parts of you start falling off. I mean, it was a horrible disease, and there was no cure. You got leprosy, it was a death sentence. And leprosy in, in Scripture was continually pointed to by the Lord as a picture of sin, the death sentence that, that all have, because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all have that, and there is, there's no cure amongst us for that. This man, no doubt, he sees this, he knows this, and it says, now the Arameans, verse two, had gone out in bands and taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. Here we see that as they were going out into the lands in the northern part of Israel, no doubt taking, going into cities and taking captive slaves, here we're introduced to a little girl, we don't know her name, but she's taken from her family and she's placed into slavery in Naaman's house, serving his wife. And notice what she says. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master would just die of this disease. No. <laughs> we see the beautiful picture of the faith of a child and the, a beautiful picture of what we as Christians should be. Notice what she says. Remember, this is a little girl torn from her family, placed in as a servant, as a slave here. I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would cure him of his leprosy. Wow. What a model that is. No doubt. Again, a great picture of what we are to be. Jesus outlines this for us in Matthew chapter five. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Paul picks this up in Romans chapter 12. He says in verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. And he continues in verse 14 of, of Romans 12, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Do not curse. Again, placing ourselves in the situation of that little girl. He's getting what he deserves. Dare he take me away from my family? No. Pray for a blessing, not a curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men, Paul continues. Never take your own revenge, beloved 
but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This little girl gets it. She gets that, that, that she, is, she is supposed to overcome evil with good. Not to curse, but to bless. One last scripture that comes to mind with me is what the prophet Jeremiah wrote. Thus says the Lord in Jeremiah 29, to the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and daughters to husbands, that they may, be, they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there, do not decrease. So the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare you will have. For in its welfare you will have welfare. Again, instead of bemoaning the situation, she's, she's truly blossoming where she's been planted, where the Lord has allowed her to be taken. She's blossoming in that. She is sharing, sharing the true light of God in this dark place. This guy has no hope. No hope. All the doctors, all the gods, little G gods that they, they worship and go to, he continues to slowly die. And she says, I know where there's help. I know where you can go. And guys, again, in that picture of, of us in that same situation, where we know that the world around us is dying of this, this disease of sin, and we're the ones that have the answer. And regardless of how your boss might treat you or a family member might treat you or a neighbor or whatever, we have the answer. And we should be that blessing instead of taking a curse or, or whatever it is. Lord, bless them. Give me an opportunity to share this truth as she is. It's interesting, too, when we think of this because she's saying, if he could only get to this prophet, he could be healed. She has no point of reference for that other than God can do anything. Because to this point, there's never been an example of someone being cured of leprosy. As a matter of fact, Jesus references that in Luke when he says, In the times of Elisha, all, no, there was not a single leper cured except Naaman. But she knew that if it was going to happen, God Almighty, Jehovah God, is the only solution the only the only hope that he has and again the heart that God has placed in her she wants him to find that hope well Naaman it says Naaman went in and told his master saying thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel and the king of Aram said go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel he departed and took with him 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and 10 changes of clothes. That's a lot of money that he's taken with him. He brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, and now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. Regardless of how she presented it, <laughs> they're going about what they think. Again, the world is gonna go and try to do their things and figure it out their own way. Try to find this prophet. He's the one who can. No, he's sending him to the king. Go to the king, and he's, he'll, he'll, he'll cure you. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. The king gets this letter. He knows he's helpless to it realizing now and again after a recent defeat that they're going to come down now and, and cause this big problem. So he is, is tearing his clothes. He's mourning over this. He's completely really upset about what is going to transpire next. It happened, verse 8, that Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, and he sent word to the king, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Verse 10, Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go wash 
Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you will be clean. Elisha does not go and meet with him personally. And I believe that that's, again, we're gonna see, I believe where he's trying to get Naaman to get to here. Totally, basically, dismiss, uh, taking this as a dismissive thing, Naaman does. He doesn't even come out and talk to me personally. He sends a messenger. And notice what he, t- what he thinks of the advice. But Naaman was furious. And he went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Oh my goodness, isn't that a picture? You know, he was expecting he was expecting Elisha to come out and you know walk up to him and slap him on the heart, be healed. You know, and, and that's what I'm expecting some big show to take place here. What, what the, all the hoopla? And you're just telling me I'm just supposed to go into that Jordan River? He said, "Are not Abana and Farpar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters in Israel could I not wash in them and be cleaned so he turned away and went in a rage guys if you if you've ever been to Jerusalem or I'm sorry to Israel if you ever seen pictures the Jordan River is a muddy river it's a it's dirty water I mean the up up at the mouth where we do our baptisms when we go it's it's clean because it right there it's coming right out of the Sea of Galilee and that's where we do our baptisms but you get further on down where he was sent and where where Jesus was baptized and where the the Israel the children of Israel crossed it's muddy it's 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 really dirty water and he's like why would I go and dunk myself in that when back home we have all of these clean rivers, beautiful rivers. Why would I do that? And we, we, we need to understand, too, this is a typical reaction when we will present this to people. A lot of people will say initially, what do you mean I have to repent? What do you mean I have to, I have to surrender my life to Jesus? There's got to be other ways. There's got to be other things that I can do. Tell, give me a list of things that I can do so that I can, I can feel good about myself in this process. There's got to be stuff that I can check off of a list and get good with God. And bottom line, the only thing that we can do is humbly come and surrender ourselves, repent of our sins, and that's the only way. The world will say there's a lot of other ways. There's a whole lot of other rivers. But Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's one way. And instead of getting furious and upset that there's only one way, the glory of it all, guys, is there is a way. That, that this, this, this disease that we all have, that sin has caused in us, this death sentence, God provided a way to have it completely removed. We couldn't do it ourselves. There's no other cure. And because of that, God himself, Jesus, stepped off his throne in heaven, became one of us lived a perfect, sinless life, and then substituted that life on the cross for our sin-filled life, shedding his blood for us, for the complete forgiveness of our sins. And if you're here tonight and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, you've never trusted in that completed work, you keep thinking there's gotta be another way. I have to be able to work myself there. I, don't, I'm, I, I, I can't bring myself to this humble point. Please don't leave here tonight without taking that step. We see as we, as we come here, I plead with you as Naaman's servants do in the next verse. Notice this, verse 13. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, my father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? If I said to you, if you're skeptical about this whole thing, that all you have to do is pay $1,000 a week to this church and you can be saved, would you do that? How much more then if all you have to do is humble yourself before the King of Kings, the one who gave his life for you, repent of your sins, turn to him, give him your life, and in exchange he'll give you his how, how much more? And that's the hurdle that, the, that so many just seem to struggle with getting over. The way has been paid completely. And this is such a, such a simple thing that is given to him to do. And he, he relents. 
And it says, verse 14, so he went down and he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. That word restored seems to carry with it the idea that even if, if, there, if he had lost fingers or he was deformed, that he, it all came back into place. And we don't know if it was a little bit at a time, you know, after he came out the first time, hey, and came back up again, and wow, and that type of thing. But we know that after he was done, it says he was completely clean. Not one cell in his body was leprous. Guys, when we give our lives to Jesus and trust in him and him alone, there is not one cell left that is condemned. Every bit washed clean. D.L. Moody, in in his commentary on this, said, Naaman first lost his temper, then he lost his pride, and then he lost his leprosy. Got to get over that that first hurdle of of temper, resistance, the big hurdle of pride. And then we can have that be totally clean, eternal life. What a glorious picture this is. We see then his response. When he had returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before him, he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. He gets it now. He sees it, and, he, and he's glorying in the true and living God. So please take a present from your servant now. He goes back to Elisha, and he says, thank you. Thank you for showing me the way. And here, I want to pay you. He, and he, like I said, he brought a huge sum of money. I mean, we're talking millions of dollars worth of money and garments and everything that he brought. But Elisha's response But as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. (laughs) Oh, again, what a a total twist on what we see so much now. I tell you what, I'll I'll heal you, but you got to send in, you know, whatever. And I'll send you back this handkerchief that I've prayed over. And you just wipe it on your forehead and everything's going to be fine. And uh, Jesus speaks of them. Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They look like sheep, but they're not. That word ravenous, interestingly, is translated ravenous in this, but the other times it's used in the New Testament, it's translated extortionists or swindlers. Beware. Jesus said, beware of them. We need to know who they are. We need to be able to identify who they are. And we can. It's not hard. Jesus goes on to say, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. So we know them by what they feed as food. So much of it is twisted, twisting the word of God, taking it completely out of context, or completely ignoring it, the whole prosperity thing and all of this other kind of stuff. So what they feed is food, but also what they eat as food. Sheep eat grass. Wolves eat sheep. (laughs) So instead of feeding the flock, they're fleecing the flock and know them by that. Well, Elisha refuses. Naaman said, if not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth For your servant will no longer offer burnt offerings, nor will he sacrifice to other gods, but to the Lord. He's saying, let me take back, let me load down my mules with a bunch of dirt from Israel. I want to take it back with me so that I have this to to remember by and and to take it back. And and it's it's interesting. I I love that. Just the, the, the... simplicity, the purity of uh, this newborn believer, this baby believer now. And he's like, oh man, I got to take some of this dirt back with me so that I have this as a, as a reminder for, for that. And you know, when you go to Israel, if, you, if you've been there, it's, it's, it's funny to, to watch and, it, and it's, it's okay. I mean, I'm not, I'm not making fun if you've done this, but the, like I mentioned, the, the Jordan River is really dirty. 
I can't tell you how many people, when we go to the Jordan River, and if you're going with us next year, go ahead and do it. You're not going to get away with it for long. But they'll take their water bottle, they'll dump out the clean water, and they'll fill it up with the Jordan. What, what are you doing that for? Well, I'm going to take this home with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> A bottle of dirty water. You're not going to get it on the airplane, but you go ahead. Um, but... and. We see that, though, and the, the beauty of that and the simplicity of the, this, man, I, I, want, I want this to, to take back with me a remembrance by, and I'm, I'm giving you a hard time. I have rocks on my desk from, you know, from, from where David picked out his stones um, for when he slew Goliath, and the funny part about that is they bring in truckloads of rocks every couple of weeks because guys like me take rocks with them, so... But we see this now, this man, he's, he is, he's, he's totally, obviously excited and praising the Lord for that. Verse 18, in this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant. When my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there, he's speaking of the king now, his master, the king, and he leans on my hand and I bow myself in the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, the Lord, pardon your servant in this matter. He's saying, I'm going to be with the king and I got to go with him. That's, that's part of my job. And when he goes into worship, I'm holding on to him. And when he goes down, I'm going to go down. But no, I'm not, I'm not going to be worshiping. Just give me, a, pardon me in that. And you got to just imagine Elisha just kind of chuckling. And God bless you, <laughs> you know. He said to him, go in peace. So he departed some distance. So Naaman now leaves with his entourage, all the money he came with, all of the, the garments that he came with, one major difference, he's going home clean. He's going home, no trace of leprosy, no doubt praising the Lord the whole way, talking with the group that's with him along the way. And remember, I had mentioned to you before and, and the, the conjunctions, you know, and, and the word but is going to, all of a sudden, we're going to have a big change of direction here. Notice verse 20 starts with, but Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God. So Elisha's servant thought, behold, my master has spared this Naaman, the Aramean, by not receiving from his hands what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. So Gehazi's wheels are turning. And he said, after all that my master did for him, and he was willing to give him all of this stuff, and he didn't take it. I think I'm going to go and get some myself. I have the, just certain words to underline in those types of things. If you're an underliner, underline that word thought. And then underline as the Lord lives. What's missing from that statement? Those of you who have been studying with us, remember Gehazi is a disciple of Elisha who was a disciple of Elijah. And one of Elijah's favorite comments that he said, and Elisha too said, as the Lord lives, and what followed? Nobody? Oh, I think I heard it. If not, I'll give you credit. Before whom I stand. Remember? Elijah said, as the Lord lives before whom I stand. That's the problem with Gehazi. He's not going before the Lord. And he's thinking. That's a big problem, guys, when we're not going before the Lord. When we start thinking without going before the Lord, all sorts of problems happen. We can come up with all sorts of things that sound like great ideas, but lead to disaster, lead to great problems. Solomon writes in Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your understanding in all of your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Guys, we can't rely on our own understanding. No matter how smart we think we are, no matter how much education, no matter how much knowledge, can I tell you that you can get too much knowledge here? If you're not going before the Lord, it can get you in a whole lot of trouble. We mentioned this before. This is the living word, and it is alive. 
and the Lord speaks to us through his word. But if we're not before him, as we're reading, we can pick and choose verses all over the place and say, oh man, this is an answer to what I'm going right in that direction. That's where so much teaching has gotten off the rails. So much of this, again, prosperity gospel and all of these other types of things, taking it in a completely different direction than what the Lord is intending in his word for us to take. And here we see, and we're going to see the disastrous results of this guy thinking without going before the Lord. He says, I'm going to go and get some of this. I'm going to go get some of this money. And so Gehazi pursued Naaman. When Naaman saw one running after him, he came down from the chariot to meet him and said, is all well? He sees what's going, he sees him coming up. Notice again, this, this man of high and mighty before, now totally humbled. He sees him coming, he comes out, he goes, everything okay? He said, all is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, just now, two young men of the sons of the prophets have come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give me a talent of silver and two changes of clothes. Naaman said, Be pleased and take two talents. And he urged him and bound two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothes and gave them to the two servants of his, and they carried them before him. So he's probably thinking, Great, I can take back more dirt now that I've gotten rid of this money. When he came to the hill, so Gehazi leaves some servants going with him with this money and the garments. He took it from their hand and deposited them in the house, and he sent them away, and they departed. So now he's going to hide it. Now he's going to think, man, I got it set now. I got all of this money. I got these garments that I can, I can exchange. I can't wear them because, man, Elisha will see that. But I can sure get some more money for him probably. Verse 25, but he went in and stood before his master and Elisha said to him, where have you been, Gehazi? And he said, your servant went nowhere. <laughs> I just, I, just like a kid, right? <laughs> where you been? Nowhere. What have you been doing? Nothing. <laughs> We'd, he was probably, probably selling it totally believable, but we know Elisha hears from the Lord. Remember, we talked about that last time. When he didn't, he was shocked. And we see next, he says, Elisha said to him, did not my heart go with you when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Uh-oh. Is, is it a time to receive money and to receive clothes and olive groves and vineyards and sheep and oxen and male and female servants? I wonder if the Lord is even revealing the very thoughts of Gehazi. I have all of this money. I can, I can buy olive groves. I can, do, I can do all of these things, processing through all of this stuff. And Elisha then, is it time for that? Standing totally, totally guilty now. And notice it says, therefore, Elisha says, therefore the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper as white as snow. As I said, this can, these types of thoughts can lead us down paths that once we get started down them, guys, the best thing that we can do once we are confronted with it in the Holy Spirit as believers will give us that stop sign, will give us that check immediately. Guys, what we need to do is stop, repent, and turn around. Get back to where we need to be. Because the problem is, one leads to another, leads to another. We see his sin compounding. Just like it said, do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, turn away from evil. He turned toward evil and did not turn around. He kept going. His first, he lied to, he lied to Naaman. He said, my boss sent me. Elisha changed his mind when a couple new, new, uh, new prophets came to school and they need some you know, room and board. So you know, pitch in to help out with that. The first lie. And then compounding with covetousness and greed and, and pushing forward with, with, man, I can buy this and I can do this. Turn away from evil. The Bible tells us, Paul says, that the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. 
not money. It's not a sin to have things. It's not a sin to have money. There are many examples of godly men who were very wealthy. Abraham, extremely wealthy, godly man. Many examples. I've heard it said that the problem isn't if you have money. The problem is if money has you. Money is a wonderful servant, but it's a horrible master. And when turning down that road, just the spiral that it took took Naaman or Gehazi down, just right away. And and the, the problem with lying is you have to be really, really smart to be a good liar. Because you got to remember the lie you told the next time you're asked about it, and then you compound that with another lie and everything. The best thing to do is just tell the truth in everything. Always speaking the truth. And be sure, as Gehazi found out, that your sin will find you out. You think you're getting away with it. He thought, if I could hide this away... Nobody's going to know. Elisha will never know. God knows. God knows your actions. He knows your thoughts. And if you're a child of God here, if you're a believer here tonight, he's not going to let you get away with it. He loves you too much. He, he, he disciplines those whom he loves. And, and guys, again, the best thing, no matter what you might be caught up in right here, even tonight, the Holy Spirit laying it on your heart right now? Repent. Turn from it tonight. Not next week, not next month, tonight. He, he, turning and coming back, the, the prodigal son, the Lord is waiting with arms open. But you continue down that path thinking you're going to continue to get away with it. Or if you could just cover up your tracks behind. It's not going to happen. And what a tragic end to this man Gehazi. Leprosy turned away from Elisha. As we move now into chapter 6, it says, Now the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, Now this is the school, this, these, these young prophets that he's training and, and raising up and pouring into. They come to him and say, Behold now, the place before, before you where we are living is too limited for us. The school keeps growing. People, more, more and more keep coming, and there's not enough room for all of us. Please let us go to the Jordan, and each of us will take from there a beam, and let us make a place there for ourselves that we may live. So he said, go. Then one said, please be willing to go with your servants, and he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and they came to the Jordan, and they cut down trees. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, alas, my master, for it was borrowed. They were cutting down trees with these axes and using the tools of the time. And one guy's getting a little overzealous, perhaps. And as he swings it back, the axe head goes flying off into the Jordan River. And like I said, it's muddy mess. So it falls into the river, and he can't, can't find it. And it's not like he could just run down to Hoban Depot and get another one. And it says that he borrowed that. It, was, it wasn't even his. He got it from somebody else to borrow this. And, and he's, he said, Master, Elisha, help me. I, what, did, what did I do? And no, notice what he says. He says, then the man of God said, where did it fall? And when he showed him the place, he cut off a stick and threw it in there and made the iron float. He said, take it up for yourself. So he put out his hand and he took it. <laughs> we see again here the... The, the hand of God, the, the miraculous hand of God. He cuts, he cuts off a stick. Show me where it went. Cuts off a stick, throws the stick out there. The axe head, iron axe head, floats up on the water. <laughs> the impossible. And then he tells them, you do the possible, though. It didn't float up out of the water and float over to his hand. He said, you reach in and get, it's right there. Just get, grab it now. And while well, I was thinking, man, what, what application can you bring from that? I mean, that, that, that's great. But again, you and I, our axe breaks. We go to Home Depot, we get another one. Okay, so what are we, what are, what are we gonna draw from that? And I, I was blessed today reading a commentary through this. And it was, it was talking about the fact that, that we all, as Christians, I, I hope that you're working for the Lord and that you're diligent in your work for the Lord. But there are times when we can, if we're not careful, we can end up working really hard and losing our edge. 
and, and continuing to work and, and, and trying to show, you know, look at the work that I'm doing and trying to do this, but we're trying to knock down a tree with an axe handle, and it's, and it's, it's, it's exhausting. And we can say, you know, I, I, I've, lost, I've lost the joy of serving. I don't see the fruit that I used to see when I was serving and, and, and before. And man, I wish, that I, I wish I could get that. And we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, I, it's gone. And, and I, what do I do about that? Revelation chapter 2. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds, your toil and perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false, and you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary, but this I have against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I'm coming to you and will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Remember. That the joy that you have serving the Lord comes from the love that we have for him. And we love him because he first loved us. The fruit that comes from the ministry that we do is because of our love for him. And if you're in that place where you feel worn out, you feel burned out, you feel like you've lost your edge, you feel, you feel like there's, 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 the joy is gone or the, the fruit isn't there anymore, Go to the Lord and say, I want it back. I want the edge back. I want, I want, I want the, the iron head back, Lord. <laughs> he might say, where did you lose it? We find ourselves again at the feet of Jesus, repenting again, turning, turning from that, turning back to him. And guys, the joy is restored immediately, I promise you. And you get right, back, get right back to it with a nice sharp axe. Well, we move on, verse 8. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him, thus he warned him, so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. So the king of Aram is trying to come against the king of Israel, and he's getting intelligence that says the king is going to be here, the king's going to be there. And on more than one occasion, multiple occasions, he would send bands there, an army there, a detachment there, and the king of Israel would get word from Elisha saying, don't go there, and he'd pull back. He wouldn't go. Now the, king of, the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, will you tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel? There's a mole. <laughs> one of you guys is telling him the secrets. We're talking, we're figuring this all of Which one of you is giving away the secret? And one of his servants says, no, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. <laughs> so he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. So he finds out that it's Elisha. That's the, that's the problem. He says, Well, I'll just take care of Elisha. And he sends a detachment, a whole army that's there, and they surround the city. And your first question has got to be just like mine. Okay, so Elisha knew to warn the king to get out of there. Didn't God tell Elisha that this was going to happen? I believe so. I think Elisha knew exactly what was going to happen. He slept like a baby, just like Peter in prison. Knew exactly what was going on. And I find it interesting, again, when we look at this, and again, the parallels with that. They are attacked... Elisha, and he has a servant with him, as we're going to see, not Gehazi, and other servants with him. They're attacked because they're doing the work of the Lord. 
they're attacked because they're in the will of God. I'm saying, well, that, that doesn't sound like a plan I want to be signed. If I'm doing the will of God, if I'm serving, if I'm doing what God wants me to do, I want him, I want him to take care of everything for me. I don't want any problems. But we're never promised that. Matter of fact, we're promised that we're going to face opposition. The enemy's going to come after us. But notice what the, notice as our story continues, because you could say, I want God to protect me. And that's where the story gets good. Notice this. Now, when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots had circled the city. And his servant said to him, alas, my master, what shall we do? The servant gets up, looks out, and notices the entire city is circled by enemy armies. He says, Elisha, get up. What are we going to do? We're doomed. So he answered, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now, again, put yourself in the servant's sandals for a moment. One, two. (laughs) with us more than all of those. Elisha, let me restate what I said. They got the city surrounded. And it's just you and me. Guys, regardless of how it looks, to our eyes, we're called to walk by faith. And Elisha, this notice, man of God, man of God, man of God, man of God, before whom I stand. Faith. He's a man of faith. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And guys, the other part of that equation, not only are they more, they're more powerful. (laughs) Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Now, if I'm Elisha's servant, I'm going to be totally blessed in a moment. But that's not the prayer I want to hear. I know Elisha's prayer is powerful. I'm like, pray that he just wipes them out. Just. (laughs) But he says, open his eyes that he can see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. (laughs) Guys, again, the world thinks that's crazy. The others will think you're crazy. As we step out in faith to do the impossible, it's, it's not us again that's going to do it. It's God that's going to do it because greater are they that are with us and greater is he that is in us. But we can't be derailed by it. I love this, this Charles Spurgeon quote speaking on this particular text it says that you have not perceived spiritual things is true but it is no proof that there are none to perceive speaking to that skeptic that as we walk in faith and as we step out and say you know what i god is leading me in this and i'm going in this direction people will say i don't believe in that or i don't see that or i can't embrace that he's saying just because you don't see it does not mean there's no proof The whole case is like that of an Irishman who tried to upset evidence by non-evidence. Four witnesses saw him commit a murder. He pleaded that he was not guilty and wished to establish his innocence by producing 40 persons who did not see him do it. (laughs) Of what use would that have been? So if 40 people declare that there is no power of the Holy Spirit going on in the Word, this only proves that the 40 people do not know what we know. The power that is in us because Christ is in us. The power to walk by faith, trusting in him. The Lord opened the bondservant's eyes and he saw. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike the people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So now that he saw what's surrounding them, now the enemy steps in and he says that he strikes them with blindness. Then Elisha said to him, this is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he brought them to Samaria. 
When they had come to, into Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Then the king, the king of Israel, when he saw them, said to Elijah, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? And he answered, You shall not kill them. Would you kill those who have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared a great feast for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went to their master. And the marauding bands of Arameans did not come again to the land of Israel. These men who came against them went away blessed. And again, I point back to what we looked at at the beginning. Instead of a curse, instead of taking vengeance, instead of doing this, they blessed them. And in so doing, he burning coals on their head, sent them away full. And can you imagine the story that they had to tell when they got back from Aram? Did you get Elisha? Uh, no. No. Um, the weirdest thing happened. Uh, you know. <laughs> uh. Well, we'll stop there for tonight. We'll pick up there because as the rest of six kind of feeds into chapter seven. But I want to close, again, going back to how we started. Again, as I mentioned, it's easy to get, to get flustered looking at the world around us. But we know that the one that we serve is in charge. He's not... He's not causing it, but he allows it. And he's doing something in our day that we wouldn't believe if he told us. His ways are higher than our ways. But guys, in the midst of all of that, we're not spectators. We need to be engaged. We're not to be running and hiding. We need to be stepping out in faith. We need to be boldly going forward. And as Elisha and his servant did, trusting in what we can't see. Trusting in the fact that, that though it may look like we're outnumbered, though it may look like this is an impossible situation, it is to us, but not to the one who's in us. And we look around this, and instead of focusing on all of that, we need to keep our focus upward, not, 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 on, not, not, horizon, not, not vertically, but horizontally. Is that right? No. Not horizontally, vertically. Got it. You know what I mean. <laughs> Trusting in the one, the one who gave his life for us. The one who's coming back for us. And as the world seems to get crazier and crazier, know that he's coming back and he's going to set it all right. We're going to rule with him, reign with him. And again, if you're, not, if you're here tonight and you've never submitted your life, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, I want to I give you that opportunity right now to, to, to pray and Invite him into your heart. I'd like to ask you afterwards, come on up and, and talk to me. I'd like to give you some information if, and, and talk to you about that if you're, if you're wrestling with that right now. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for the, the comfort that it is that you hold the entire, the entire universe, everything in the palm of your hand. You, your word tells us that in you, in your hand, everything is held together. Lord, we can take comfort in that, in this time of, of craziness in the world that we live in. And Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness in this time. Boldness to share the truth. Boldness to step out in faith, trusting in you. Lord, give us opportunity to shine in this dark world and just continue to, to follow you in faith, Lord Jesus. If you're here tonight and you want to invite Jesus into your heart, it's simply a matter of, of doing what Naaman did. It's a matter of humbling yourself. You confess to the Lord right now in your heart. You say, God, I am a sinner and I know that I cannot fix this. I cannot... 
I cannot do enough to offset this. I need a Savior. And Jesus, I believe you're that Savior. I believe you died and paid the full penalty for my sin. So right now, I humble myself and I invite you into my heart. Would you, would you wash away all of my sin? And give me eternal life. So that I can follow you with this walk of faith. I want to have that joy that I heard this man Naaman had, that I see in all of these people around me tonight. I want to have that. So Lord, I give my life to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week. We'll see you this weekend.